Welcome to Conversations from the Edge of Consciousness. I'm your host, Christine Madeira. For me, and possibly for you, the inner world of consciousness has always been much more real and way more fun than the so-called real material world. Growing up, I thought I was alone in this, but I'm not. There are a lot of us, and far too many have no one to talk to who shares this experience. I've been lucky to cultivate a community of friends who love to talk about the energies, ideas, and vibrations that are pushing the edges of our own consciousness, as well as our collective consciousness. In Conversations from the Edge, we share our conversations with you. Welcome to Conversations from the Edge. We're here today with Dr. Jen Phoenix Hatfield. Welcome, Jen. It's great to have you back. It's good to be here. So do you want to say something about yourself today? Who are you in this moment? I would say that I am someone who is still learning, who is still healing. And some days I'm, I feel better about it. And other days are a little more challenging. Well, I think that's true for most people um, who are on this kind of spiritual path. It's, uh, it's not sort of a smooth sailing from A to B all the time. We have these, these um, ups and downs. I know I do as well. So, and that actually brings us to our topic today. And, and we had finished our last conversation. You had said something that I wanted to follow up on and go deeper with. And it is that anytime you experienced a triggered emotion, it was an opportunity to heal. And there's a lot of triggered emotions these days on a variety of things. And um, healing is not usually many people's first response. So tell us a little bit about what you were talking about with that. And then let's go into that a little bit more deeply. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember how I came to this conclusion or how I came to this awareness. And I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure how that process unfolded, but I did have an aha moment mm-hmm. that what has, if I look at my past, what used to get me upset, what used to get me angry, what used to have me in tears, what, yeah, what used to um, be not okay. Mm-hmm certainly not okay that others did this or others did that. What I've come to discover is that when I've healed different aspects of my life, different traumas or experiences from my past, that I was able to come to a place that I was not triggered. I did not have the same level of Um, response, that I could see my responsibility in it. I could see my involvement or my peace in it. And my perspective shifted. And after that had occurred a number of times, I would say I realized that I had healed these aspects of my life and was able to look at things in a whole new light and realize that I had healed. What occurred was those things that I had been working on in some cases for years or even (laughs) longer to heal or address or experience differently, 
that once I healed them, for a while I had this period of like, whoa, like life is good. And mm-hmm. feeling like a lot of things like didn't bother me anymore. And then what I discovered is as I continued to move forward in life and as I continued to move forward in healing and new relationships and connections with people that, or new experiences, that I would become triggered again or become upset again, angry, frustrated, um, or in tears. Mm -hmm. And between my own personal journey and then working with others on with their healing discovered that there was usually something under the surface. There was usually something again in our history that was to use the word triggered. And that was why we were so upset. That's why we were so angry, so frustrated, um, so sad, so hurt. Um, And it usually is because it was tied to something, you know, earlier, in our life or in our childhood. Well, and I wanted to point out too that in in this context, that being healed in this is really about removing the energetic exclamation point or the energetic reaction to to a situation. And so it's not necessarily, you know, we, we think about healing that if you there's a relationship that somehow you need to actually heal the whole relationship, which may or may not happen. But when you can when you can come to that place of healing within yourself where whatever that's happening in that relationship no longer activates you into the same kind of response, that that's what the healing means here. It's not that everybody else heals or changes. It's that your own reactions to things, the, own, the things that you make right or wrong or good or bad or that happen and you have some kind of strong opinion or judgment about it that activates all of your emotion, that those are the things when you begin to release some of the underlying emotional kind of, I think of it like it's a sticky rock. So if there's a flow of energy, like like a river flowing, you know, if energy and life is normally flowing, and you've got a sticky rock that kind of sucks things in, it, 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 the water has to go around that rock and it, it kind of messes up the flow. And if you have one or two of those, you know, they're not the worst thing in the world. But if you've got a lot, like the water's not flowing. It's the, the, it's the sticky rocks are holding up all of that. Everything gets dammed up and then something happens and then you explode. But healing in this is not healing everybody else. It is about that internal de-escalation of your reactions so that you can experience life differently. And I know for me, similar to you, like it was a period of time, the same things would get me triggered, would make me angry. And it was always like these big stories behind them and all this wrongness behind it. And when I began to just let that stuff go, then the same things could happen. And I was like, oh, um, that happened. And that was two weeks ago. And I didn't even notice it. Hmm. What do you know? And it allows that inner equanimity and flow to um, be sort of the overriding energy of your life as opposed to escalation after escalation after escalation. And so I agree. And when something happens, it triggers me and it doesn't happen that often anymore because I've been doing this for a long time. Like that's, it's a cue that something is stuck there. Something is caught there. Something, there's a belief or there's a thought or there's a judgment or there's an experience or there's an emotion or there's something that I've decided is wrong or there's a mental construction or an emotional construction that's being challenged. 
and my reaction is is emotional is a really strong emotional response and that's my signal there's something here that i need to dismantle de-escalate and allow to come back into flow because i know for me the feeling of flow is so much better than the feeling of trigger that now it is its own uh, motivation that when i'm triggered i'm going to come i'm going to work through that and get back to that flow state yes and you know i often certainly when i'm talking to somebody else about something that they may have been triggered by i'm like look at it as this is a spotlight you know, mm-hmm. often, certainly when people are coming to me, they're coming to me because they are looking for something to change in their life. They're looking for something to be um, healed. They're looking for different results. They're looking for something different than what they currently have. And in a lot of cases, they're like, but I don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. And so I look at triggers as like the spotlight or the arrow that says right here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, definitely. And, and so it, one of the reasons I like that perspective is because it's also, as opposed to being angry and upset at yourself mm-hmm. and the situation or whoever else might be involved, if we take that step back or give ourselves that space, which we talked about in one of the other podcasts, if we give ourselves that space and step back and go, okay, wait a minute, if I do believe that a trigger is an opportunity for healing and that it's pointing to something that's ready to be healed. What is that? Yeah. And that's, it's a big step to be able to do that because when we get triggered, we feel like, and I know for me, um, one of the biggest things that triggers me are, are the things that I'm defending. There are these defended positions, as my friends calls them, and they're defended emotional positions, they're defended, you know, something I'm deeply defending somehow in my life. It's often not conscious, it's that unconscious or that, you know, the emotional conditioning type of thing, and I don't really realize I'm defending it. And when I look at what I'm defending, I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to defend that. <laughs> Why would I want that? But it's, it's, the, it's not conscious, it's not my... my my thought process is it's the sort of that, that deeper stuff, but I find if I'm defending something or there's something where somewhere where I have felt wronged in some way, and especially those deep wounds about like how you most feel wrong, there's usually a couple of things that are like we're most wrong about um, as opposed to that general feeling of wrongness. But when, when those things come up, like those are, those are the, the big triggers that come for me. And I look at what am I defending? And, you know, or where am I finding my, where am I making myself or somebody else wrong? Like, those are my two go-to questions that help to me to move deeper. And not everything fits into those two categories, but for the most part, I can use those two questions to explore more deeply and, and find the, you know, the root of that. Yes, I, mean, I would agree with that, that um, another way that I put it is what story am I telling about this yeah. other person or what story am I telling me about me? Yeah. And where, where is that story not true or potentially not true? Um, and again, it doesn't answer everything that might, we might be triggered by, but it is a really great place to start. Um, it is. And, you can, and I love the story piece because I do that as well. Because when you go into the story, you can often go back in time to the beginning of that story 
or at least Mm -hmm. to the beginning of your conscious experience of that story and realize that, oh, I'm telling a story from when I was five. I'm telling a story from when I was 12. Like I'm telling a story from like a really bad day when I was 15 and my friend did something. And really, is this a story I want to continue to live in my life? So the story is a great way to do that because, you know, we know our own stories. And if we can look at the story and identify where that, where in your life that story is from, it does make it easier to look and say, hmm, is that actually a story that I really want to be alive in my life right now? And I think, you, you know, you made a great point that when we're in it, when we're triggered, especially depending on how big the trigger is, mm-hmm. you're probably not asking these questions of yourself when you're in the midst of it. It's something that, you know, sometimes people will say, yeah, but I already like acted basically not so nice <laughs> to so-and-so or not so nice to myself um, in yeah. some way or another. Like now what? And it's like, well, let's revisit what occurred. What, what was occurred leading up to it and use all your senses. What did you notice? Mm-hmm. And in some cases, I'll even have people write it out, like spend some time with this, you know, become the detective. Yeah. And, and like, not when you're triggered, but like later, like yes, after you've yes. <laughs> breathed through it or something. Yeah. Yes. When, you know, the trigger response is done and, you know, whether it's been hours or sometimes even days mm-hmm. um, have gone by and now you're willing to look at it you're no longer in because again too when you're in a triggered response i would go so far as to say that's also when you're in fight flight freeze you're in a survival Mm -hmm. mode and it's not the time to evaluate or make decisions about how you responded to the situation um, because you're in survival mode Mm-hmm. We can talk a little bit too about how how you just de-escalate triggers, but you'd brought up the survival mode, which is one that I wanted to comment on that the you know the three survival mode responses are fight, flight, and freeze. And if you know, and we have we all have a mix of them, but we tend to have one predominant one. And so mine has always been freeze. When something happens, my natural tendency is to just to freeze up, to go mind blank. And to somehow make myself wrong in that moment because I, I, can't, I can't flee, I can't fight because somebody would feel bad or whatever. And it's some kind of story I've got about that. But I'm a freezer. And so I know that my natural tendency when something happens is not to respond. So for me, I've de-escalated that you know, through breathing, through trying to bring my, you know, breathing back into my brain, trying to bring my body back into some, some motion so that I can begin to release the chemistry of triggering. But if you know that you tend to fight, like that's where if somebody says something in your immediate responses as a fighter, like that's something to know about yourself so that when you begin to feel triggered, if you can have a couple of things that you do so that you don't automatically either escalate the situation or say something or do something that's going to be um, damaging to your long-term relationship or to damage into the situation. So coming up with your own ways of de-escalating how you respond. So if you're a fighter, you know, you're t- you might want to 
automatically take three long, slow, deep breaths before you allow yourself to say anything um, or something along those lines. If you're, and I'm a freezer, let's say we did that. So I got to bring my body back online, fight, flight. If you tend to run from things, you know, and, and you're, you tend to flee or to evade in some way to know that about yourself and to have a couple of different reactions or responses that you go to so that you're in you begin the process of de-escalation before escalation, then that's kind of the first step in my view to begin to step out of living in that trigger place and that survival place and beginning to more thoughtfully come into your relationship with triggers from a uh, more productive way in a way that begins to move toward healing. Yes, agree with those and... I would say certainly from my experience and supporting others in theirs, the first step is not always to recognize like, oh, I've got to make a conscious decision, use one of my tools available to me to move out of fight, flight, freeze, that sometimes that just happens because time has gone by. And it's something that I, I probably learned at a later time. Now, and I say that because I know for a lot of people, especially if they're first learning this, for me to tell them, okay, you've, when do you recognize that you've been triggered? It's typically at first hours or days later or because they brought up a situation to me in the course of a session. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not yet at a place to say, oh, I can use these tools um, to de-escalate myself. I know for myself, if I'm triggered, I still can find that challenging. Oh, yeah. First, well, I find it challenging. But I do have my, my go-to things so that I don't, yes. I don't make things worse. Like that's yes. always my thing is, what do I, is, is to, to, to have the discipline for me to not make things worse. Yes. And, you know, you said you're somebody who freezes. Mm-hmm. I am somebody who fights. Mm-hmm. And I've come to learn for myself, especially depending on how big the trigger is, the best thing for me to do mm-hmm. is to step back and take time. Yeah, yes, that's great. You know, Three to five breaths, maybe even ten breaths, typically don't do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but but that gives you, know? you the opportunity to make yes. a choice. Yes, like that's then, that's what I mean by that immediate yes. thing is like Absolutely. if you have your strategies to not make it worse. Yes. Then you've got the space to be able to make a different choice. Like I'm going to choose to take five days off from talking to this person. <laughs> before I even begin to think about talking to him again or whatever it happens to be. It's really those, the, what I was meaning to, to um, suggest is to have something in place so that you're immediate, you don't immediately go into your fight, flight, freeze response as, and understand that, okay, how do I, how do I not make it worse for myself and others? Because for me as a freezer, I will make it worse for my own biology like I will hold those chem- hold that chemistry in and it will wither my immune response in a matter of hours if I do not do something to begin to move that out. And as a fighter, like, you know, you tend to, you respond to those things and you, you, 
work some of those that chemistry out unless you're using it to make it make it worse but you know for for me to not make it worse for somebody else like i tend not to go there i tend to make it worse for me um, on a variety of things by being non-confrontational by you know holding in and continuing the cascade of stress hormones which really saps my immune system so for me not making it worse is both not making it worse for the, with the other person and in that situation in that immediate moment so you yeah. take that time to be like okay i'm going to take five breaths or 10 breaths or 15 breaths or i'm going to hang up the phone or right. i'm going to walk away and then i'll revisit this at another time but whatever that strategy is to to have that kind of in place so you know okay if i'm if i'm getting triggered this is my strategy for not making it worse and giving myself the space that I need to do whatever I need to do later on. Right. And I, I have people write out two things typically, especially mm-hmm. if they're coming to me after, you know, something has occurred, what led up to it again, mm-hmm. using all the senses and yeah, that's good. what did you notice after? Mm-hmm. It was said and done. And then if you could go back and do it differently, what strategy would you put in place when you are triggered? I mean, first, do you recognize some things and what could you maybe have said or done Mm -hmm. differently before it got to fight, flight, freeze? Mm -hmm. And then... Okay, yes, you've gotten to fight, flight, freeze. What if you, again, looking back, how would you have wanted to respond differently? Like what would be your ideal or moving in the direction of your ideal for this is the situation and this is how I would want to respond in the future? And I have people do that because it creates neural pathways for being able Mm -hmm. to do that in the future. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I often talk to people about, especially if they're doing, who they're triggered by is a spouse, um, somebody they, you know, are working with regularly, somebody they're in a relationship with, and the likelihood of being triggered again with that same or similar situation is pretty high. Yeah. Like you, you want to, one, practice it and communicate it with the other person. I know that that's been a strategy that's worked really well for my wife and I. Mm -hmm. That now we, I mean, I often say that our arguments are are not arguments. They're healing sessions. Yeah, and you two are very, very high level with that. Um, I just want to point out. So, yes. (laughs) Um, It, well, they, and they become healing sessions that Mm -hmm. we're able to, that we've been able to create a space for that healing to occur, to communicate what we discover and uncover um, and what that trauma, what that wound was like in our childhood or in our past. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah, and and that's not everybody's available 
scenario. Like you two have worked really hard with that and it's, you've created this space where that's what you do when you argue. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, and I know, you know, I know from your clients and stuff like that, that there are people and they're, they're in a situation and the other person's not going to change probably. And so they've got to deescalate within themselves or work on their own triggers and, and things. So what would you say to somebody you know, who's either in a relationship or in a job or in some other situation where there's some consistent triggering and, you know, they know they're triggered and they, they want to dismantle their own response, but chances are the trigger is going to stay there. Uh, what would you say to somebody about how to work with that? I would go back to writing out what happens before, during, and after and, and keep doing it for every situation that comes up to identify what's happening for them as the individual involved in it. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, realizing the points in that event or in those circumstances where they have choice choice to continue the conversation, to walk away from the conversation, to, you know, talk to a supervisor or somebody else, or, you know, in some cases, to stay in that relationship or situation, mm -hmm. or leave it. Yeah. And I think that's a big deal with the, you know, the choice and, and recognizing that you have a choice, because oftentimes, especially when we're triggered, we feel like we don't have a choice, you know, we're in this situation and we're caught and that's part of the story and we can't change this, blah, blah, blah. So that's really important as well. And then one thing I'd add to that that's been really helpful to me with particular people who trigger me is to find something that I appreciate about them. And it doesn't have to be something I appreciate about them, like in a personal relationship with them. It could be a quality that they have that I admire, even if the person themselves makes me a little triggered. But I have found that by finding that one piece, it's kind of like finding a little pinprick to put into a balloon. And it doesn't pop the balloon, but it slowly begins to draw the energy out because it creates new neural pathways around that person. And I've done it also with situations. Like if there's a situation and, and this, maybe it's a situation from the past and it's just a recurring thing and I just haven't been able to get past it. But if I can go back and I can find something to appreciate in that scenario or in what I've learned from that scenario or, or about the people in that situation or about the skills that I've developed from that or whatever it happens to be, that the biochemistry of appreciation can really begin to build new neural pathways and speed the dismantling of those old triggering pathways because you are consciously beginning to run a different kind of biochemistry through those pathways with that person. And, and I found that to be particularly helpful for me when I've been working with situations that I'm trying to de-trigger. You know, it reminds me of something that Brene Brown says, and it's, you know, making the assumption that the mm -hmm. other person is doing the best they can. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, very similar. Because if, if you're assuming that they're doing the best they can, then, yeah, the idea is we are going to look at them differently. 
Yeah, and it, and the thing you appreciate doesn't have to be anything to do with the thing that triggers you. So there was somebody they just triggered me left, right, and center. But you know, this guy was a really good father. Had nothing to do with anything that triggered me, but I really admired how he showed up to his children and how he showed up in his family in a way that was different than what I would have expected based on what I knew about him. And that piece of appreciation and admiration really went a long way to help me re-understand who this person is. And it can work on the, that back end of like, you know, knowing that whatever it is in the situation that triggers me with them, that they are doing the best that they can, they're operating out of whatever they've learned, like that's their, that is their habitual pattern, it's probably going to stay that way. But having this other piece of something to appreciate or to admire or to respect can give me, help me give them even more of a break. And so they're doing the best they can. They have these other qualities, you know, and, and begin to um, move out of a state of constant trigger. And when I would think of them or think of the situation or think of the person and I would go to the trigger stuff, I'd, I'd shift right back over to what I appreciated about them. And that really began to dismantle all of the energy of the trigger. Now, if we got into the same situation again, would they trigger me? Yeah, possibly, but not nearly to the same level that they would have before. I think that's a, a you know a great way to approach it, and I think another way to approach it too is when we're looking at situations like that where mm-hmm. we are triggered, and for instance, me as a fighter, I might yell, I might scream, I'm going to get loud certainly, and you know of course <laughs> oh, I no not. not you Jen, <laughs> I, of course I found that that doesn't work, you know, yeah. and you know we we've touched on feelings and emotions and um, what are they and how do they come into play with all of this. Part of, you know, I mentioned writing out what happened before, during, and after. And, you know, of course, if we're triggered, there's often emotions that are coming up. Anger, Mm -hmm. frustration, grief, sadness, I mean, hurt. Um, I mean, it's usually quite the mixed bag of emotions. And, you know, working through this process and getting to a place that we are healing, that we're not triggered, doesn't mean that we don't have emotions around it. What I found has helped in the writing and the, in some cases, um, role play of it is somewhere in the midst of this, And often before we role play or before we might find ourselves in a circumstance with somebody else to be triggered is give yourself the opportunity to Mm -hmm. express the emotions that you feel coming up. So if something really pissed you off and made you angry, go somewhere by yourself, scream, yell, hit pillows, and you know, go hit some baseballs or softballs or, you know, something that's going to allow that emotion to move out. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, what I have found too, is you can choose a different way to respond in the future. Yes. And I would add to that to avoid the temptation of adding to the emotion with stories. So sometimes when we 
act on those emotions to express them, like all the other stories that are attached to that emotion come pouring out and it just ratchets up the stress hormones in your system. So, you know, as you're doing something to, to express the emotion, express it in a way that releases the emotion from your system, not that escalates the emotion in your system. And sometimes those things get confused. Yes. Let's see. I had to, oh, I, you know, I wanted to touch on this for a moment as well, because sometimes like a lot of the stuff that's coming up and being triggered now isn't necessarily a situation with an individual person or with a situation that's personal to you in your life. Like there's a lot of like universal collective wounds and triggers that are up now um, with our, you know, all of our stuff around healthcare, all of our stuff around money and economics, all of our things around, you know, race and equality and justice and all of these things that trigger us on lots of different levels that are not necessarily triggers that are personal to us in our life now, but things that we see on television, things that we, you know, see in the media and things that trigger these emotions and these responses, even if it's not a situation that we personally have been in. And so one of the things that I have found with those, especially if like you're being defensive about something, and this is me speaking to me, but when something comes up and you're trying to defend, when you can begin to find in yourself a story of the thing that you're defending against. So like if you're not wearing a mask, you don't care about anybody else but yourself. You know, if you're, if you're angry at these people that, that are not wearing masks and you're, you're blaming them for different things, you're putting a story on them and you're saying how wrong they are. Uh, what I do for me is I take a step back and I deescalate with me and then I look at, okay, what are they really saying? And a lot of people are saying things like, I feel like my freedom is being infringed upon if I have to wear a mask. And whether I agree with that or not, I can um, emotionally in me find places that I feel infringed upon and that I feel like I'm unable to express myself and be free. And I can begin to, to work with those within me and dis dismantle the stories of those within me. And that helps me to not be as triggered by people. I'm finding my commonality with them. I'm finding the places that I feel that way too. And I don't express it in the same way, but I can identify with that. And that helps for me to kind of melt the anger and the resentment and um, the trigger around those things. Even if I still don't necessarily disagree or don't necessarily agree with their decision not to wear a mask, but it takes the emotion out of um, that, the judgment there. Yes. Some people might say, well, how do I go about doing that? And I know one of the ways that I do it is... I'm going to write down everything that comes to mind, mm -hmm. um, every possible reason I could come up with other than they obviously don't care about anybody but themselves <laughs> Yeah. as to why that might be. And just see what comes out on paper. Yeah. Not censoring myself in any way, not limiting myself, not judging myself for what I say, but allowing it to all come out because often there's things that I discover in that, in that process. Another thing that I have started doing um, some while back is looking at the opposite side of the issue. Yeah, I do that a lot. What, what is the information out there 
that supports the stance of not wearing masks. Mm -hmm. Because again, we get, we tend to get so focused on what we've decided, what we know for ourselves that yes, we're down that triggered path. We're down that path that's being reinforced um, consistently over time. And we can't even provide ourselves a a breath or the space to potentially look at something as, well, what if they do care and are not wearing masks? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, or what if they don't think masks are particularly helpful? So I, I've done that myself as well about looking at the other sides and seeing, and for me, the, the, the key is um, oftentimes seeing where I am in that, in that other side. Mm-hmm. even if it's not directly in the other side, but where am I expressing that same kind of emotional energy or action or reaction, even if it's not exactly the same scenario. So that, that for me has always been the key to being like, Oh, hmm, that is me. All right. <laughs> Oops. And that, that's really, then it makes me angry and then I have to deescalate that. But that, that's helpful for me to be able to see myself in the things that I disagree with or the things that I judge and say, oh, okay, I'm there too. I'm just there in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been helpful. Once it stopped pissing me off, I, I, you know, it's been helpful. Right. We're going to give ourselves that space. Yeah, totally. Okay. So is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap up this conversation? I would add that if you had a recent situation or the most recent situation where you were triggered and certainly in a lot of cases, many of us after we've been triggered and we walk away from a situation go, oh yeah, I could handle that differently. Mm -hmm. I really could have, and sometimes feel guilty or ashamed because of the way we did respond. That's a perfect time to stop and look at that situation as a whole. Again, whether writing it out, identifying those points before you're triggered that maybe you could have become aware that you are about to be triggered or that like that low level sign that says, Ooh, triggering is about to happen versus Mm -hmm. finding yourself full blown in it. And then walking through what would you have done differently if you could go back and do that? Yeah. And to me, that's key, especially since in some cases, you can go back and do it differently. Because in some cases, and I've had this happen certainly for myself, where I realized like, oh, I didn't handle that so well. So I might pick up the phone or Mm -hmm. make a point to see somebody and say, you know, I wanted to come back to what we were talking about, because I realized I did not handle that situation well. And this is what I'd like to share with you. And you do have that opportunity, both, again, whether it's directly with somebody else or doing it for yourself to create those neural pathways to do it differently when you're triggered in the future. It really goes a long way for that to be the case. It does. And I want to add something to that and then we can wrap up. But there's, um, 
in, in looking at doing it differently, there's a difference between mentally going through it and doing it differently, which is important so that we know what we're doing when we move into the future. But you can also, particularly if you can't go back with a particular person or situation, because maybe it was a stranger or maybe it was just all happening in your own body or whatever it happens to be, and you can actually experience it differently going through the emotions of how it would be different. And if you go through that three or four times, you completely emotionally, you completely change the um, neurology, the, the neuro connections of that situation. And you can de-escalate it in your emotional system, even if you can't change what actually happened or, you know, redo it in, in real time or whatever. And I have found that because your body doesn't know, your subconscious doesn't know the difference between what actually happens and what happens in your imagination. And when you can redo those things and, and consistently de-escalate them and make better choices and run through them again, running the emotions of those different choices, like that goes a long way to releasing not only the triggers, but also of repatterning that particular thing so it no longer carries the same level of emotional energy. Absolutely. Okay. Well, can you tell people how they can reach you if they would like to contact you? I can be reached on my website, theintuitivephoenix.com. I can be reached in LinkedIn, and that's Dr. Jen Phoenix Hatfield. And also on Facebook, The Intuitive Phoenix. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to talking with you again soon. Me too. This is your host, Christine Madeira. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation from the edge of consciousness. You can find all our conversations at conversationsfromtheedge.net. You'll also find links to schedule a private conversation with me or any of my friends, as well as tools to help you expand your own consciousness and explore what's possible for you outside the boundaries of your current perceptions. Feel free to use this podcast to start your own conversation by sharing it with friends, on social media, in your blog, or even in your own podcast. And as always, live the adventure of pushing your own edge. It's the most amazing adventure there is.